Good morning. Oh, you're better than the first service. See, I'm an African. I'm an African and I like being said hi to. So thank you so much for responding with enthusiasm. I hope it wasn't just my big eyes. My name is Ezra Heard. As you have heard, I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford. And uh, we are one of uh, two, uh, three churches that planted or replanted this church here. And it's such a joy for me to come and visit and see Matt and encourage him and the staff here and the volunteers. And also to encourage all of you, thank you so much for making this your home church. If this is your church, if you're visiting, welcome to this uh, to Tri-City Church. We're so glad that you would share uh, your morning uh, with us. Now, I am married, have a wife, uh, four children. Uh, so our house is a busy household, but it's such a um, pleasure again, like I said, for me to come and uh, open the word with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you'll want to go to First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 to 11 is the passage I was assigned um, by um, Matt. So we'll be talking about some, uh, some fun stuff here. The law and the gospel is what we'll be uh, talking about here. So as you open your word, just, uh, uh, the, the, the word, just um, a short little story about where I come from. So I come from Kenya, born and brought up there, and I became a Christian as a young man when I was in Kenya. And so when I became a Christian, a Christian camp and all that, it was fun, it was great, exciting, I realized that I was thirsty, and thirsty for the Bible, thirsty to know God more. So what, what, what uh, happened was every single uh, Christian gathering, crusade, Bible study that I knew about, I would make sure I go and attend it. I always beeline and went to attend. Now, I didn't know anything about denominations or things like that. As long as they sang Christian songs and there was a preacher who was worth listening to or a Bible teacher who was uh, really well and eloquent in his, in his uh, exposition, I was there because I was so thirsty. Now, it so happened that I also went to other gatherings that I should not have gone, gone to. Why? Because some of these preachers taught something like this. They would say, hey... If you want God to bless you, then you have to be good. You have to be really, really, really good. So you have to obey this book, read it regularly, and be nice, strive to be obedient to God, and then he'll bless you. But if you wander, if you waver a little bit, then God is going to punish you. It's not going to look good for you. And so it thrusted me into this journey that took almost a decade of me really trying to be good, trying to be good so that God would bless me. And I grew up in Africa and we barely had much a home. And so my mom, there were health issues and I had cousins who, you know, when you look at World Vision and you see those kids with um, noses running, I have cousins who look exactly like that. <laughs> Literally. My cousins look exactly like these kids. Poverty, poor everything. And so I would pray, Lord, help me, help me, so that I could either help my cousins, help my family members, help my mom, provide for my family, all these things. Be praying, I'll be praying, and trying to be good, but you and I both know this, that we are not always good, are we? No. Just think about your life this past week. If you're a Christian, think about your life this past week. Have you really been truly Christian this week in your thought life, really? Yeah, you're chuckling because, you know, <laughs> you're guilty. 
Right? Right. So I've been trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but then different thoughts come and different cravings come and the show I shouldn't watch, but I cannot watch it. And all these things, a little white light here, white light there. And I ended up finding myself in a situation where when hard times came, and many hard times came, and I was facing difficulties and struggles and challenges, I began thinking, hey, you know, maybe this is God punishing me because I'm not good enough. This is God punishing me because I'm not praying enough. And some of you probably think the same. The reason why there's such difficulty in your lives, in your marriages, in your work, financing, maybe it's because God is punishing you. Probably some of you think this way. You know, while I was in that season, I was also struggling with, okay, will I lose my salvation? Will I lose my salvation because I'm not good enough? I'm not good enough. So will God then decide, you know what, Ezra, you're not obeying my word. You're not obeying my laws anyway. So be done with you. I'm done. Will Will God decide, hey, Ezra, you're not good enough? You know, there are others who, some of my friends who, again, would go to these meetings and things like that and listen to this kind of teaching. Some of them were tired of trying to live a life that was worthy of God's blessing, and therefore they decided to walk away from faith. And some of us who are Christian, you definitely know, there are those who try to live the Christian life and they're gone. Why? Because they were not good enough. You see, the result of all these above um, examples, this... uh, when hard times come, assuming that God is punishing or terrified of losing your salvation or some even walking away, the, the result of all these things is listening to preachers who are not handling the gospel appropriately. It's listening to preachers who are not clearly articulating the gospel. They're mishandling the gospel. This is exactly what's happening in the church of Ephesus during Paul's time in this book that we're reading, in this passage in particular. In that day, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, remain where you are in Ephesus. Why? Because there are people who are teaching a different kind of gospel and they are wrecking the faith of many. They're taking the Old Testament law, mixing it with all other things, and then proclaiming a gospel that is not true. And so in our, in our passage this morning, Paul takes a little bit of a tangent, and he will deal with the law. When you hear the word law, think the Ten Commandments. There is more to the law than the Ten Commandments, but just think generally the Ten Commandments. So Paul takes a little tangent, deals with the Ten Commandments, as it relates to the gospel, is what we'll be seeing this morning. So he will do it, we'll see two things from this passage. The first thing we will see is the law, Ten Commandments, yeah, convicts us of sin. And the second thing we'll see is the gospel redeems us from sin. So the law convicts us of sin. Second, the gospel redeems us from sin. So we'll read the passage slowly, unpack it, and then move on. Verse 8. Of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, Now, we know that the law is good. The law, Ten Commandments, the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, or if one uses it properly, it's good. Understanding this, 
that the law is not laid down for the just. And the just are these people who've been redeemed. People who are Christian. People who've been saved. So the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. Now the word strike there is those who kill. So they, they are so fed up with mom and dad, they end up taking guns and firing. They kill their parents. For murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. Let me pause there and say this. The issue here, again, is not talking about people who have an inclination towards same-sex attraction. What he's talking about here is the practice of. See, I'm not gay. Not gay. I'm married. But sometimes, yeah, you might see someone who's very attractive and like, oh man, I should not start thinking what I should, what my mind, I should not go where my mind wants to go, Ezra. Stay in your lane, Ezra. That's, it's not right for you to think of that girl this way. But what if I decide to follow my inclination? Now I'm guilty. The inclination, ah, no, 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 Ezra, you can't go there. So here, men who practice, it's homosexual practice that's being condemned here in the scriptures. And slavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine meaning healthy doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And there ends our reading this morning. So, the law convicts us of sin, the first part. So you may ask, okay, so what is the law? Great question. The law was introduced by God gave it to Moses, and he began with the Ten Commandments. But then it's not just the Ten Commandments. There are 613 other laws on top of the Ten Commandments that God gives Moses, and Moses records in the first five books of the... Actually, it would be um, Exodus, Leviticus, a little bit of Numbers, and then he will repeat the same thing in Deuteronomy. Just another rehashing of, hey guys, this is what the law is. But think generally the Ten Commandments, and these will be found in Exodus chapter 20. So what are they? Very quickly, you will have no other gods. You make no idols. You will not misuse the Lord's name. You will keep the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Do not murder. Should not commit adultery. Should not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor and don't covet your neighbor's stuff. So this is Ten Commandments. So what's the purpose for the Ten Commandments? The purpose for Ten Commandments is basically this. It'll show you God's standard. This is God's standard. So you want to know what his standard of righteousness or right living or the standard where God will look and say, yeah, you're a good person. Yeah, look at the Ten Commandments. Obey them. You're great. You're good. 
This is God's standard, but there's a problem, a small little teeny-weeny problem. And that teeny-weeny problem is this. You and I cannot keep this commandment. We can't keep the law. So you may say, come on, Ezra. Really? I'm saying, yeah, why? So let's pick one. We will pick idols. You will not make us, you shall, you will not, uh, you'll not be an idolater. You'll make no idols. So you say, okay, Ezra, I didn't have an idol. I don't have an idol. Like, okay, so when you left your house this morning, did you worship the tree that was outside the roadside when you're driving? No, you didn't worship the tree. You didn't worship your car. You didn't worship your dog. You didn't worship the rocks. You didn't, if you saw the sun this morning, you didn't bow down to the sun. Of course, you're not idolater. You may think so. But let me show you in many ways how you and I are idol worshipers. So my son... He plays soccer. He used to play soccer when he was a little younger, and I paid $300 for him to be in a team. And so there I was, one of those parents as one of those. I used to play soccer. I know he doesn't show anymore, but I used to play soccer. Okay, so my son is in the field, and he's playing. And I'm on the sideline. I'm one of those parents. Caleb, go! Caleb, go! Pass the ball! Pass the ball! No, 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 no! Shoot, 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 shoot! I'm all animated on the sideline. As my son is playing. And so he's going, he's going to score. He didn't score. Man, why didn't he score? The game is over. They lost. Caleb goes, Caleb, why didn't you just shoot it? Shoot the ball there. <laughs> why didn't you shoot the ball? And so Caleb is like, but dad, I'm just having fun. But son, I paid $300. I paid $300 <laughs> for you to be here. Shoot the ball, score the thing. And so I'm driving home and we are busy talking and he's upset. So we come home. I walk into the house. My wife Tamara is right there. Tamara looks at me, I'm mad, looks at Caleb, he's mad, we're all mad. And my wife, Esther, what's going on? Yes, he's in school, he's just shoot the ball. And and my son, a dad is just driving me crazy. See, the problem is this: my frustration is the presenting problem. My frustration. He didn't score the ball, didn't score the goal, he shoot. That was the presenting problem. But what's the root? So you know the root problem is I'm all about me. Because see, if Caleb scores, yeah, everybody, yeah, Caleb. But for all the moms and all the dads who are there, I'm like, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my son. He, he my boy. Like, you see, I told him to do this and he did it. So it's now, it's not about Caleb and his scoring. No, it's all about me now. I'm the dad of the superstar, the MVP in the team. But when Caleb misses and doesn't score and has a terrible game, all the other parents are thinking, hmm, his boy, that's his son. Hmm. Not very good. What does that do to me now? My image. I'm now embarrassed. Not for Caleb. I'm embarrassed for me. See, I am so committed to my self-image. It's now an idol. So ask yourself this question. When you get really mad about something, your anger is just the presenting problem. What's the root issue? See, the root issue is your idol. 
So listen to what Tim Keller will say about idolatry here. He will say this, an idol is something more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, an idol has such controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family or children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains. An idol is what you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. He goes on. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. So what are you worshiping? So I'll give you an example for us preachers. Okay, Matt, us preachers. See, we preach a sermon here. Then we stand at the door. People are going out, you shake hands and all that. And people say, oh man, good service, good service, good service. But let's say there was a weekend where nobody said good service. So I'm now driving on my way home. Oh, that sermon good? Or was it yeah? Maybe I should have said it this way. Maybe I should have said it that way. Nobody really encouraged me. Okay, I'm waiting on Monday for emails. Hey, great job. Nothing is coming. <laughs> I am in ministry for crying out loud. I'm a pastor. I should know better. Yeah, ministry can become an idol. Because I'm in it for the accolades I receive. You see, we are incapable of keeping the law. That was just idolatry. There are many others. You know, if I put a sign up there to say, wet paint don't touch, what would you do? (laughs) You know what you would do. You put your little finger there and look at it, right? It said don't touch. Wet paint, it said so. But we touch, right? Yeah, we are incapable of keeping the law, incapable of keeping in the law. That's why we are condemned by the law. We are condemned by the law. Yeah, you're guilty as charged. And you see, ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Ignorance of this law is not an excuse. So, for example, I was in Scotland. So I left Kenya, went to Scotland. I passed the church there. And by the way, when you get to Scotland, try haggis. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Anyway, so... You're in, so I was in Scotland and then came here. So before I came to Canada, I met um, a Kenyan Asian man who owned a store there, a little just hole-in-the-wall kind of store, and I would go and buy different things, a convenience store. So I'd visit him and to buy whatever. So we're chatting. So my time in Scotland was coming to an end, and I said, well, I'm coming to Canada. Now, he had been to Canada before. When he heard that I was going to Canada, he told me, dude, come here, come, 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 dude. Look here, dude, this is the deal. When you go to Canada, you have to pay attention to the driving laws. Man, those Canadians. See, because in Kenya, there is no such thing as school zone. You just drive. You drive your car. 
the roads are there, there are lines, yeah, those lines, suggestions. Those, <laughs> the, the roads are, yeah, they're just suggestions, suggested speed. And you drive your car. So this guy comes to Canada and decides he will drive his car. He goes 60 in a school zone. And there was a cop right there. Before he knew it, the lights were on. He was pulled over and he tried to wax eloquence. Oh, Lord, you know, I am I'm new here. I didn't know the law. I drove 100 of the freeway and I'm 50 in the city. It didn't matter. Ignorance of the law does not matter. You're guilty. You are 60 on a 30. Here's your ticket. Doesn't matter if you're a guest. Ignorance of the law. No excuse. You can't say you didn't know. Can't say you didn't know. The law will not only reveal our shortcomings, it will also expose our wickedness. Our sin is an affront to God. Our sin is an affront to God. So I'll give you an example. Some of you are probably parents here. Now, I want you to think with me carefully. Imagine in your house, there is a being who is created in your image and likeness. And this being is your son or daughter. Created in your image and likeness, right? Okay. You pay the mortgage for that house, it's your house. You pay for the heating. Now that the the fall is coming and the winter, yeah, you'll start turning on your heat. You buy the food in the fridge. You pay for the Wi-Fi in your house. And this little being created in your image and likeness, what is this being doing? Now the being is defiant. You tell him, Joe, why don't you clean your room? I'm going to clean my room whenever. And they slam the door because it is his room that is in your house. Or the Wi-Fi is down. He comes out really angry because the Wi-Fi that you pay for is down. You try and tell Joe, Joe, these are the rules. Mm -mm. He is so defiant. And by the way, he will bring a little weed in the house because it's legal in Canada. And you're telling him, son, you should not do this. Says who? And he slams the door. So question, what would you do to this defiant little brat? (laughs) What would you do? Okay, let's say you don't have any kids. Okay, so you have a friend of yours who has a brat like that in his house. And your friend is telling you about all these fights that he or she is having with this little Joe in the house. What would you tell your friend? See, that little brat is you and I. Created in the image and likeness of God. He has his standard, and yet we keep defying the standard. He provides the oxygen you have. The Bible says there is no such thing as self-made millionaire. No such thing. Why? Because it is God who elevates some and reduces others. So your wealth is him who gives it to you, whether you worship him or not. Bill Gates' wealth, whether he knows Jesus or not, is God-given. Donald Trump's wealth, God-given. You had no control in being born in Canada, did you? No. No control whatsoever. 
Yeah, you work hard. Yes, and you work hard. Yeah, but there are others who work hard too. And they still don't make it. Are you better than them? No. So you may say, ah. Our sin is on the front, yeah, but what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, is our sin really, really is our sin that much of a big deal? Ha! Another example. So let's say, so I'm a Kenyan, okay? Kenyan black man. So I was preaching here and you're kind of fed up because, you know, I'm just talking and moving my hands. I'm a little animated for you this morning. So you decide you'll just wait for me in the parking lot. And when I show up, you had a pie in your hand and you smack my face with it. It might show, yeah. You might laugh and all that. Yeah, yeah, you might show up on Facebook. Yeah, Pastor Ezra got smacked and pied in the foyer. Now let's pretend. Let's pretend that uh, Barack Obama was the president of the United States. And so Obama decides to come to Canada. And he's like, hey, man, I know it's Tri-City Church. I'm Mount Glazer's my buddy. So Obama comes and positions himself right there. And let's say you don't like Obama's politics. So at the end of the service, he's shaking hands and everything. It's Barack Obama, you know, he's, he's talking and whatever. And then he's walking out. And because you don't like his politics, you had your pie, you come, you pretend you stay, and you smack his face with it. Now, you smacked Ezra. You smacked Obama. Same act. Which one's more serious? You will do time. For Obama. You smack the President of the United States, put a pie in his face. You will do time, right? Ezra, yeah, you might get a slap on the wrist, maybe the cops will say don't do it again or whatever. But Obama, you'll do time. What happens when you smack God? My point is. The seriousness of an offense rises with the dignity of the one being offended. Our sin is an affront to God. What should happen to you when you put your hand on your waist and you decide to ignore God's standard and do your own thing? What should happen to you? Your sin is an affront to God. Guilty as charged. You are guilty as charged. And there is judgment that will come. And so when we look at Paul's list again, where he talks about the lawless, disobedient, ungodly sinners, you know this list is very close to the Ten Commandments. Very, very close. Because the Ten Commandments say you shall have no other gods. Well, the lawless and the disobedient. You've chosen, hey, you know what? I don't want this law anymore. So you've decided, yeah, God is not my God anymore. I'm not going to worship him. No idols. Yeah, because you're an ungodly sinner. Because you're worshiping something else other than God. Do not misuse the Lord's name. Well, you're profane in your language. Honor your parents. No, I'm not going to honor them. I'm going to strike them. I'm going to kill them. Do not murder. No, I'll murder. No adultery. Well, I'll be sexually moral. I mean, it's my life, my body. Do not steal. Oh, no, I will steal. Bear false witness, or I will lie, I will perjure. Right. That list, we are there. Our sin is an affront to God. We are guilty 
of sin. You see, the proper, the proper use of God's law, this standard, the proper use of this standard is not a means for salvation. This, it's not meant to lead you to salvation. You can't keep this. But it's meant to bring conviction of sin. So now that you're convicted of sin, what should you do? What am I going to do? Second point, the gospel redeems us. The gospel redeems us. You may ask, how? Well, let's unpack. What is the gospel? Four words. Creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created all things. Rebellion, man rebelled. Why? We can't keep the list. Redemption, because we rebelled, we can't keep the list. Christ came to redeem. We'll talk about that in a minute. Finally, restoration. Christ will restore all things. One day, Jesus Christ will come back again to judge the living and the dead, and he'll make all things new. All our pain, all our misery, all our sorrow, all of it gone one day. That is coming. It is coming. So that's the gospel, four words, that's gospel macro. But let's zero in when we are talking about redemption, the third piece. Redemption. What are we talking about? Look again at our passage, verse 8 and 9. Now we know that the law is good. Yeah, it's good because it's God's standard. We know the law is good if one uses it appropriately or correctly or lawfully, according to the word here. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. It's not laid down for the just. Who are the just? The just are those who have been declared righteous. Who are they? And how do they become just? Would be the question. How do they become just? They become just because of the gospel. So the gospel provides redemption for sinners. Sinners are those who cannot keep the law. Now some people assume, you know, you invite your neighbor, hey, come to church, come to church. They're like, I can't come. I can't come. Why? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't think that I I can fit in the church. Why? Because I have this, this, that, and the other, these issues. I'm not good enough to, to, to come to church, they may say. Well, that's false. Why? Because Romans chapter 5 verse 8 will have a very interesting verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were busy gorging ourselves in our sin, while we were busy chasing after greed, chasing after women, chasing after all these other things, while we had no regard for God at all, while we were right in it, Christ died for us. Without even us knowing, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. In other words, Christ paid the penalty for sin. So like, I'd like you to imagine if we're in a courtroom here. So this is the, the judge is sitting right here. You're the defendant, you're right there. You're sitting in your dock right there. And then the charges are brought. God's standard is put before you. All the thoughts that you've ever thought about that you don't want anybody to know are now laid bare. All the things that you have done that are wrong, laid bare. All the various ways in which you 
you did not meet this standard. How you were, you had other, uh, other gods, you had other idols, you misused the Lord's name, you did not keep his, his day, you did not honor your parents, you murdered um, adultery, you stole, you bore false witness. All these things you did, yeah, all of them there, laid bare. The evidence is against you. God is about now to proclaim judgment. Eternal damnation. When those words are coming out of God's mouth, Jesus stands up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? I really love Ezra. I love Ezra. And yes, he's guilty. All those things you've said, yeah, he did them. Yes, he did. But I will pay his price. This judgment you're giving, yeah, I'll pay that price. So Ezra, get down. Get off the dock. So I get off the dock and I sit there and Jesus comes and takes the penalty. Okay, now read the sentence. I will pay the price. And that's not just everything that Jesus did, by the way. He went further. How far did he go? So Jesus was born a virgin, of a virgin birth. Virgin birth, Virgin Mary. And then he lived a sinless life. This sinless life matters. Because for you and I to enter heaven, you're not just supposed to be sinless. You need to be sinless and you need to be righteous. Meaning you do everything right all the time. Ha, dear Christian, how are you doing? <laughs> so the sinless life of Jesus is also credited to you. So let's pretend the sinless life of Jesus is a t-shirt. It's a white t-shirt. So when Jesus is coming to exchange places with you, he also takes off his t-shirt. And he says, Ezra, not only will I take your penalty, but here is my righteousness, my t-shirt. Wear it and give me your filthy one. And I'll take that upon me. So Jesus stands there with all of Ezra's wickedness. To take the penalty. And Ezra sits here. And God the Father looks at Ezra. Oh you're so handsome. Righteous. Not because of anything Ezra did. But when God the Father looks at Ezra. Yeah the righteousness of Christ. Is what he sees. That's the gospel. That is what Jesus did. For you. And for me. So think of it this way. If you're standing in the dark and you're lawless, disobedient, ungodly, you're a sinner, unholy, profane, you strike your mother and your father, you're a murderer, you're sexually immoral, you practice homosexuality, you enslave people, you're a liar, you're a perjurer, and whatever else is contrary. All of it. Jesus will say, come, get out, I will pay. And by the way, Remove your filthy garment. He is mine. And the Father will see you. Sin spade. You're righteous. So you may ask, okay, so, wow. I am forgiven and I am righteous. Where the good works? Where do the good works fit in? Well, the good works fit in here. Your good works are just evidence to show that yes, this inward transformation, but even those good works themselves, you cannot do them on your own strength. Because there's so many Christians who are sick and tired of being sick and tired trying to do good. And it doesn't work. Right. So this is what God does for you. 
He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you his Holy Spirit. So I'll give an example. So the scriptures say, Paul says in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, which will lead to debauchery. Debauchery is wild living. So if I was drunk this morning with wine, I'd be standing in front of, on top of this pulpit without my shirt dancing. <laughs> now that'd be weird, right? I'll be going without my shirt when I'm drunk. Now, I am not drunk right now. That's why I'm not going to stand here and do that. But if I was drunk, I'll probably do that. So Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which will lead to that. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit filled Ezra will be able to meet this standard now, won't he? Holy Spirit filled Ezra will forgive the most painful experience done toward him. Holy Spirit filled Ezra will give above and beyond. Holy Spirit filled Ezra will be bold to share the gospel. See, even these good works, God is behind them. It's like when my daughter and I are shopping. I have a little daughter. So it's the end of the month right now. So we'll probably go to Costco, Walmart, whatever to buy the supplies for the house. So we'll take a cart and she'll be sitting on the cart and we'll go. And then the cart is full. She'll want to push the cart. So I'm like, honey, you can't push the cart. So if I stand her there and she's trying to push, she's not going to go anywhere. But then daddy holds the, the bars and begins to push. What happens? She's now like there and she's thinking she's pushing. Who's pushing? And she's pushing. Who's pushing? I am pushing. And yeah, she'll take a lot of delight thinking that it's her, but actually it is me pushing. You see, even the good works that we do, we may think, oh yeah, it's us doing it. No, it's the Spirit of God in you who's pushing you along. Spirit of God who's pushing you along. So your good works, you need God. That's why our works are just an evidence. They are not a means of salvation. They are evidence to show, hey, I am new. And when you stumble, you repent and you ask God, Lord, cleanse me again. Fill me with your spirit and help me to obey. What does this gospel tell you? What does it reveal? Well, I hope that you're beginning to see the glory of God in this gospel. The gospel reveals the glory of God. That he could forgive People who are lawless, disobedient, ungodly, sinners, unholy. He would forgive them, call them righteous, and equip them the Spirit to live, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. The law was not, the law is meant to show you God's standard. And when you see the law, man, you realize, I cannot get over this thing. And so you should run to the gospel. So you may be here. And you're hearing all this. You're not a Christian. Can I invite you to consider this Jesus? Because God's standard, you can't keep. You can't. So what are you going to do there? You're guilty as charged. But guess what? Jesus has paid the price for you. And you can know this, Jesus. Matt is here. There are many other people who will be here to tell you how you can know this Jesus and how you can live your life in a manner worthy of him. The law is meant to point you to Christ directly. 
will be coming to take communion. Dear Christian, if you're a Christian here, when you grab the elements, remember the gospel. Remember how he removed you from the deck and called you righteous. Let's pray. For these few words, Father, I thank you for, for your grace over us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for how it transforms us. Father, I pray for those who don't know you this day. Lord, I pray would your spirit draw them, wood them. May they come. May they taste and see how good you are. May they receive your free gift of salvation. And Father, for those who have been taught wrong things in the past, Lord, I pray would you help transform them, Father. Transform their thinking that they may realize that you paid it all. Commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. God's people said...